Welcome to the Growth League podcast, where we interview business owners who have experienced quantum leap growth in their business. In each episode, we're going to dive deep into our guests' firsthand experience about what it was like 90 days before and 90 days after that point when their business started experiencing massive growth. Jen Denowden is the president and CEO of Avana. Named Canada's top 10 fast-growing company on the 2020 growth list. Ivana paves the way as a female-led real estate development and asset management company with over $200 million in assets under management. In 2014, Jen left a successful career in private banking to to found Ivana with her sights set on breaking down the quote-unquote old boys club in the real estate market. Ivana has since gone on to display an almost 10,000% growth over five years and now holds 40% of new development permits in Regina, a massive undertaking for such a young firm. Jen is passionate about fighting for equality and works to empower women and children to escape domestic abuse by providing attainable, safe, and quality housing. Thanks so much for joining us, Jennifer. This is uh, great. Um, I've, been, I've been looking forward to this one for sure. So thanks for joining. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to it. Awesome. So I like to start here. Um, you know, growth is never a linear journey um, in terms of a hockey stick growth curve or anything like that. Now I know there are some interesting um, experiences in your past in terms of how, how you grew, but can you bring us for some context, back to the beginning of Ivana, like how did it get started? I know that you had come to this moment in your life where you're like, what do I do next? Bring us back. Okay, so how we got started just as a business? The origin yeah. story, yeah. Yeah, so really it was out of necessity. I was on maternity leave. Uh, I had an eight month old baby and was pregnant with my second baby. And I just knew that maintaining my existing career at the time, I was a private banker for RBC Wealth Management was not going to be manageable if I wanted to, you know, be a good mom, be good at my career, be a good wife, all those things. So it came out of necessity of wanting to do something different where I could continue a career where I could, you know, live up to what I felt my potential was and feel fulfilled and still have success, but also be able to have flexibility to be, be around as a mom and as a wife. Mm -hmm. And so why I originally chose real estate is because like, it's not sexy at all. Unfortunately, it was just a way to be able to do use my skill set and have kind of passive income and not have a super rigid schedule. Um, so that so that's why I chose it, honestly. And our original plan was to uh, build forty houses in eight years, which would give us like a market value of twenty million dollars or so. Um, and so we actually haven't even hit eight years. We've only been in business seven years and we, we surpassed 200 million in assets last year and we'll surpass about 340, 350 uh, this year. So, yeah. And I know that you had no prior, well, real meaningful prior experience in, in the industry. Did you throw a dart at a dartboard or, or what got you into this, specifically this industry and this way of, uh, of, of building it out? So how I originally got into it is when my husband and I first met and wanted to move in together, I lived in my own home and he lived in his own home. And so we decided we would rent my, my house is a little bit bigger. We would rent my house out and we'd move into his house. 
when we moved from that house, we never sold it. We rented it out and so on and so forth. So when we actually started our business, I think we owned like four houses just from not selling them when we moved. And so that's honestly, that's how we chose it. We are like, well, if you can make like three or three, 400 bucks a month off each house and you can replicate this enough mm-hmm. times, that seems like a pretty okay business because then you have the flexibility, you're creating wealth, you know, that seems like it would work. And so then we wanted to build new construction because we're young. And so we said, you know, if this needs to last us like till we're older, we may as well build new. And so our original plans is that we would hire a builder. Um, and it wasn't until we went and actually interviewed builders and kind of started getting some pricing where we were like, oh, this is pretty expensive. Like, I'm sure it's not that hard to build a house. Um, <laughs> And so that's honestly how it happened. Like we, and so my, at the time, my brother was a journeyman carpenter for a builder in the city. We approached uh, he, he and his wife and said, hey, we're going to do this. This is our, our little plan. We're going to build eight houses a year or five houses a year for a year. Do you guys want to do it with us? And so that's originally how it all kind of came to be. <laughs> that's awesome. What was, what was the first moment where you were like, oh shit, we got in over our heads or was there ever? That's amazing. What was the big win that confirmed for you then that you are doing the right thing? Is there something, well, something meaningful that popped up? I think, you know, we coming into the industry so naively and seeing some of the hardships we faced by me being a female leader was also obviously super frustrating, but it also was like, wow, we have an opportunity. This industry is comprised of like one demographic. And that was middle-aged white men. <laughs> and so very early on, you know, we realized that us being different in our industry was going to give us a significant competitive advantage. And it did. And so when we got going, you know, by like year two, our business plan was already laughable because we had our almost achieved like our business plan for eight years. And like, I don't know the actual number, probably like two years it took us to achieve what we thought we could. And so we just kept kind of leveling up. Like once we got pretty good, I would say at something, we'd say, okay, what's the next thing? Then we would level up a bit, get really good at that level up, level up, level up. And so that's how we've grown our business. I think like hockey stick growth every single year. Was it always uh, single, single family residences or when did you move, make the move over to multifamily? Um... So that was, uh... <laughs> I think you told, I think you told me once, well, I'll let you explain it. But I think you told me, you said, doesn't seem how it would be any more difficult to build one where it can house five families. <laughs> tell, tell me. Well, yeah, we were working too hard. It was like by year three or four, we, I think year three, we built like 35 houses, call it. And it's like, wow, that's a lot of work to build 35 houses. You need to get building plans. You need to apply for permits, mortgages, all these things. And it's like, we could just, we're good, really good at this. And so we went from knowing nothing to being really good at this. Why don't we take this you know, business practice or our business model and just scale it up. And so at that time it was commercial light industrial buildings. It's the exact same process, really like the building code and all that is different, but as long mm-hmm. as you have a good team around you, you can do it. And so we were like, instead of building like a four or $500,000 house, let's go build a four or $5 million building. It's the exact same really amount of work. So that's what we did um, for a couple more years. And then from there in 2008 is where we really wanted to pivot into being a fully purpose-led company. And so in 2008 is when we changed to focusing on the development of affordable housing with a specific focus on women and children. 
And then that's when we decided to get into multi-unit residential. Gotcha. When you're building um, uh, right now with the multi, multi-family residential um, and, and fulfilling that purpose-led mission, um, how, what comes first, the cart or the horse as it relates to building the building and then getting the tenants in? Or do you have agreements in place? Like how, how does that whole thing work? I mean, now at this point, it's an ongoing process. Like we are marketing and branding every single day, 365 days a year, because we have Mm -hmm. the budget, we can do that now. Mm -hmm. Before it was like, we would build and then we would, you know, put together maybe 60% of the way through a strong marketing plan to kind of launch it, which we still kind of do that. But, you know, when your business gets to a certain size, you can then be very high level and strategic and come up with a comprehensive plan that you're focusing on your brand every single day. And we still have a long way to go with that. Like we've grown a lot, but in the world of real estate, we're still, we're still like a little fish. And so we have a lot of work to do to continue to strengthen our brand. We brought in a uh, firm out of Calgary, actually uh, about a year ago, and we're going through a full rebrand right now. That's actually about to launch in a couple of weeks, which we're super excited about, but that's going to be a big, big focus of ours as we move forward. Got you. How, how, cause there's a lot of digital marketing folks in our, in our audience. How have you in the past or how are you currently now leveraging anything within digital marketing to generate, I guess, more, more tenants is the, the primary driver, right? Yeah. It's almost all, all digital. Now I think again, that was a competitive advantage we had in the beginning is because we came in, younger, like when we started our business, we didn't have one owners, four of us, me, my husband, my brother, and his wife, not one of us was even 30 years old yet. And so we came in, in the social media, internet kind of digital age, whereas many of our competitors, so like I, we have competitors who have businesses bigger than ours that have like 500 social media followers, you know? And so, yeah, we've leveraged that since the very beginning, social media, having a good website, uh, doing a market sweeps of the uh, technology available. So there's different apps and stuff, software that's come up over the years that we'd leverage for our business. So I would say it's like 90% of the marketing for us is, is all online digital. Gotcha. So, so growth is, growth is continuing to explode beyond your business plan. Digital marketing strategy is working well. What's the, is there any bad news story to this? Is there any challenges that you guys are currently trying to overcome or bring us into, I mean, hey, if there's no challenges, let's not go there. But if there is, love to you. No, I mean, there's for sure been, like right now, I mean, a challenge in our whole industry is like lumber prices have gone up 250%. So there's always challenges like that. I think over the years, like one thing I've realized as an entrepreneur is like, there's going to be things that come up that you have to deal with that you have absolutely no control over. So examples for us would be the government changing, uh, like tax rules. Our province brought in 6% PST on construction uh, in 2018, I think, which we didn't have before. And so being in Saskatchewan, wanting to stay in Saskatchewan, because many people, when they get to a certain level of success, they, they often will leave. We really are grassrooted and we are headquartered here. We're not planning to leave here, but 6%, if you're building $50 million real estate a year adds up very quickly. So overcoming things like that, underwriting, financing rules, things changing like that. So it's just like constantly navigating and 
planning out different scenarios, modeling different scenarios in anticipation. So when they happen, you know, you can deal with it. But I would say a lot of our hardships too over the years have just come from people. Like we had some partnerships in the beginning and um, being a fast paced high growth company is exciting and people get attracted to that. But actually working in a company like that, I mean, it's changing all the time. It's very fast fast paced. Like it's a, it's a lot to handle. Yeah. And so that's been a huge challenge, um, for us over the years. Gotcha. A lot of your content is, is, um, focused on, I mean, I think you've, you've sort of become a voice of, of, uh, female leadership, female entrepreneurship. Um, you can tell this is a topic very important to you, um, as it should be. And, and can you tell us, uh, why you're such a strong advocate other than the fact that you're a female entrepreneur? You know, this was something that's evolved over the years. So coming from banking, I felt like I kind of knew, I don't know, some of the injustices that females can face, but I literally did not have a clue until I came into construction. And Mm -hmm. thankfully there must've been some really strong women before me in banking that paved the way that I was supported in my career and promoted. And I was treated very, very well as a a woman in the finance banking world, which at one time was, you know, an old boys club. And so constantly seeing like how I was treated differently and how I was not taken seriously or how me speaking up and using my voice uh, for things that I believed in. And I had, you know, good educated opinions on how I was just constantly shut down and not respected simply because I was a young female mm-hmm. um, over the years that happening enough times. It's just, you, you have, you know, you can't, I don't believe in complaining about something if you're not going to do anything to change it. Okay. And so then what I also noticed as we expanded into Alberta is that the treatment of myself um, being female was completely different there than I've experienced in Saskatchewan. And so I started doing my research, like, very recently I learned that Saskatchewan is one of two provinces left where pay equality is not legislated by government. So things Mm -hmm. like that. So Saskatchewan is a very conservative place. I have four kids. Um, I don't enjoy the injustices I continue to face being female. And so I'm going to use everything in my power to change things, to pave a path that the next, you know, group of women can come up and aspire to be anything they want to be. Um, the other thing is you look in Saskatchewan, I try and find somebody like me. I actually went to WESP recently, the Women Entrepreneur of Saskatchewan organization said, how many female-led companies have grown like over 10 million in Saskatchewan? And right. they think of like two or three people, including me. And it's just like, oh, if you, we, if you can't see it, many people might not believe they can do it. And so we need more me's. We need more examples of women who have overcome these obstacles, women who had a dream and went out and got it and achieved it to inspire, you know, the next generation. And so that's why we have achieved a a good level of success. We're not yet where we want to be. We plan to grow our company to a billion dollars, but we're, we're doing well and we want to use our platform and our voice and our story to inspire other people and show men that we like women can do it. We can do it as well. For sure. Well, uh, you're leaving no doubt in, in, in your in your journey and your path here. Do your your kids are sorry daughters uh, sons? Mixed? So I have two sons who are three and five, and then two daughters who are six and seven. Okay, and are you yeah. seeing them seeing you? 
your, oh, your yeah. daughter specifically? You know what I mean, I, right? Oh, yes. No, it's crazy. My seven-year-old is literally like a little feminist. It's <laughs> seriously. She learned last weekend what a shotgun agreement is and a unit on a shareholders agreement and was telling my mom all about it. Like, but she, she, she asked me questions because she sees me. And I, so I've worked from home. Part of the reason, obviously I started my business is I wanted to be there with my kids. So I've actually worked from home predominantly since I started my business. And so she's witnessed a lot of very interesting conversations, both, both she's kind of the only one that's really interested in this stuff yet. I'm sure as the younger kids get older, they will too. But, and she asked questions. She's like, why did that guy speak to you that way? Or why she doesn't understand why we have um, a boy prime minister and a boy president like why and it's like I have to then explain to her like why that is and she's like but that's not fair like this doesn't make sense and so she asks a lot of questions and she educates herself she reads a lot on the topics as well and so I'm like so excited to see how you know she turns out as an adult because I Hmm. I grew up in a home of like my dad was like a traditional Catholic man and his goal for me was to grow up and be like a really great housewife and really good at cooking, like seriously. And so, and I still became who I am. So I can't even imagine right. a young girl who's empowered and supported and whatever it is she wants to pursue or believe. Totally. Well, and it'd be very exciting to see that as well as seeing what the world will be like when she's 18, 19, 20, whatever years old right um yes i hope i hope, it's I hope different than today in a, in a number of different areas including this yeah so um dipping to the marketing side of the the conversation again um take a look at a brand like yours and obviously your big name in in your geographic area as well as uh, extra provincially um you may be tempted to you know, just kind of rest on that a little bit. Maybe you're not doing as much in marketing, but for for the marketing you are doing, how do you, what do you guys measure to make sure that it makes sense to continue to invest, not just to rely on the name that we've built and, and kind of rest on our laurels? What do you guys measure? What's working? What's not working uh, for you? So we're actually in the process of developing this a little bit. So I would say up until a year ago, we we barely invested in marketing and branding. The only thing that we really evaluated was our vacancy. And so we've always operated at a vacancy of about half of the market that we're in. So like in Regina, if the average is usually 7%, we're usually operating at 3.5%. And then we track things like social media followers and things like that. But um, up until a year ago, um, that, that worked enough for us and we were using most of our capital to grow our business. But we decided when we decided we were going to aggressively expand outside of Saskatchewan, we also made the decision to move some cash into really marketing and branding our company better. And so I would say if we spent $250,000 a year in marketing, um, we'll look to probably quadruple that in these coming years here. Uh, so it'll, it'll look a lot different, but yeah, we, we just focus on vacancy and it was almost the opposite. It was like, well, should we invest a million dollars into this? If we're operating at 50% of vacancy, that's a really great, you know, but it's more than that. And, and especially now that we're using our story to speak, speak out against certain injustices and things like that, Mm -hmm. we need to have a really strong name. Um, and we are very different in Canadian real estate. Like there's very, very few female led real estate developers like us. 
And so we need to broaden the name and strengthen it and use it and use it for change and all that kind of stuff. So gotcha. So what you're saying is that you're not deriving the success of your marketing program to be purely a function of new tenant acquisition. There's other, I guess, more engagement or reach uh, focused metrics that are defining value. Okay. For sure. And then when also, you know, when you get into a size of business like us now, we, we being able to access capital to grow our business and get mortgages basically to build more real estate is very important. And when you get into the dollar amounts, we're looking at, you know, we need these banks and the the financial institutions to know who we are too. And so there's that aspect, like, how do you, you can't really gauge, Oh, did we get approved for this because of the brand, but it certainly doesn't hurt the brand. Right. Um, and, so, and, and I think that's a, a big part of our industry overlooked is like the name of the brand and the feeling of your brand and your culture, your values are so important, sure. but it's hard to track. And so many people don't invest in it because they don't have like a tangible. And then that's the other part where most, most organizations that are at the size of us either have investors or they go public. And so we're very, very rare in that we're a private family enterprise. We have no external investors at this size. And so we can make decisions that are value-based that have no direct rate of return because it's our money. Right, right. If you only were going to measure the success of your program marketing efforts on tenant acquisition, would you, you would be limited at some point there would be a glass ceiling, right? Because you don't have the supply available to house all the tenancy. If you, if you dwindle that three and a half percent down to 0%, then you have nothing left to say, but you're saying you can take that opportunity to strengthen the other components of your brand within the minds of others ex- outside of, you know, tenancy, right? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. So you know, when I'm talking to business owners that are that have experienced growth like this, and um, there's always that mountain in the in the distance in the future. What is the thing that's pulling you guys? You mentioned the billion dollars, but what else um, specifically is sort of defining the next mountain that you are looking to climb? I would say the billion dollar plan is is it. Um, we as an organization make value-based decisions every single year. So we offer great homes to, to, to people. We offer great service. We offer housing to women and children who probably otherwise wouldn't be able to access nice, clean, safe housing. And so knowing that we are a purpose-led company and we are a social enterprise that makes impact basically just in how we operate, growing that to a billion will create a lot of positive impact and change in the communities that we exist and hopefully in Canada and maybe, you know, even North America. So cool. that's kind of the purpose uh, behind the plan um, for the enterprise. For me personally, I just am a very strong believer in fulfilling your potential. And I, when I see like really skilled, capable people, you know, in a job they don't like or under whelming themselves it's just so disappointing because sometimes we're born with certain skills and sometimes like we're not and I know you can learn a lot of them along the way but I truly feel like I to be satisfied and fulfilled as a human being I need to fulfill my potential and I think that that's to create you know a female-led private billion-dollar company in Canada I don't know that it's 
been done privately without any external kind of investor ever going public. We still are kind of doing some research on that right now. But I think that for me personally, in my career journey, I need to see that happen to be able to say, yes, I'm like successful. I, I fulfilled it. That's awesome. <laughs> Tell us about the culture of your team there. So we are, I would say if I had to kind of sum it down, we work hard and play hard. We are entrepreneurial driven people. Um, we like to have a lot of fun at work. We do not like to micromanage uh, e each other. We like to hold each other accountable, but there's very little micromanagement. Um, and yeah, we're just like a pretty young group of innovative people. Uh, we have a lot on our team, you know, that have a lot of the same thoughts and beliefs, I guess, around just, again, the injustices faced um, and wanting to use our platform collectively as a group. But yeah, we have a lot of fun at, at work. COVID has been very difficult because we can't get together, but, you know, we, we like to have like lots of social events and different things like that. Um, but yeah, expect a lot when we are working, but enjoy and have fun and lots of laughs when we're kind of having our downtime. That's awesome. What can you share with us about some of the most exciting things you're looking forward to with the new brand? Is there any, like, do you have a new, do you have a mascot? <laughs> what are some elements of the brand that you're excited to unveil as much as you're willing to share? So I just don't think I should share anything yet. We have okay. a, uh, yeah, we have a, a Zoom meeting coming up with our internal team where our whole team is getting couriered boxes with gifts we'll say, I don't want to say too much. Um, and then we're going to roll out the new brand internally. And so just for respect of the hard work of our team, I just don't want to say it, but it is super, super, super exciting. Um, and it's a very good, strong fit for, for Avon, especially as we get out, outside of Saskatchewan. Is it, is, is the brand recognizable as compared to what it is today? And remember, we're not going to release this until probably after the after you've had this Zoom meeting. So okay, yeah, no. So like, it doesn't even really have a logo, which is crazy. The the team was afraid to roll it out to us because it kind of doesn't have a even a logo. But it's like when you put all the messaging and the like it all together, it's just really amazing. It's a nice, strong color. Yeah, it's just cool. very, very exciting. And then it's like a lot of things are going to happen after there. So last year. We replaced uh, most of our fleet with Teslas. Um, and so we're going to decal then all the Teslas, which is kind of cool again for Saskatchewan. There's not a lot of electric vehicles here. So that will be cool. And then um, we obviously are going to update all of our signage and stuff like that. And then we're in the finishing steps of designing our new headquarters. So I think we actually applied for development permit even this week or last week. So we are building like the most amazing new headquarters that's going in one of the busiest intersections in Regina. Um, and so this will kind of be like a prelude to that because I think it's really going to shift how we do business at Avana. It's a full co-work kind of office space, 10,000 square feet. There's a big kind of reception area where we'll host meaningful events and yeah, it's going to be really cool. So yeah, creating a space for you guys to live into your, your mission of what you're trying to do here, which is so far beyond just, putting people in housing, right? Oh, it is. Yeah. yeah. And the nice thing too about our expansion, and again, that we don't have any partners involved is as we expand into other locations, we'll hire the, you know, property management team to obviously work in those markets. But 
we're retaining the majority of the jobs that the expansion creates that will be headquartered out of Regina. And so there's going to be a lot of really exciting positions, you know, open and being created here in Regina. Um, And then as we are hiring teams, we'll bring them to the headquarters to get trained by our team. And there'll be a lot of kind of movement in and out of the city of Regina, which again, I mean, lots of people when they get to our level might headquarter elsewhere. um, And we're not, we're, you know, planting very strong roots here and, yeah, it's going to be super exciting. I'm excited to see that. That's, uh, that's really cool. Yeah. I'd like to ask this question. Um, okay, so, so did you, sorry, did you personally grow up there? Yeah. Okay, where was like your hangout spot when you were 18 there? Kind of like a cafe or a restaurant that you would go to a lot? I don't know. Well, Kay, I grad, I actually moved to Alberta for like a couple of years. That's where I lived when I was 18. But when I first, when I, I actually moved to a small town, like half an hour outside of Regina when I was 10. And then I moved back to Regina the morning after my grad party. <laughs> Growing up, and like, but it was so good. Like living in a small town, there was a lot of, you know, like farming families and traditional kind of farming community, we'll call it. And so I learned some really great, um, you know, values, I would say there and roots, but I also learned what I definitely did not want my life to look like as well. Um, so yeah, I was kind of like a, kind of a shithead teenager though. Like we had okay. big ideas and that's what we would do. Go to the, the reason, school. <laughs> that's awesome. The reason why I asked is let's pretend there was a, you, there was a cafe that you always sat at and you could go back, you could teleport back from today till now and you see 18 year old Jennifer sitting there being a shithead. Um, you have 30 seconds to talk to you. So today's Jennifer has 30 seconds to talk to 18 year old Jennifer privately. What are some okay. things that you're, you're telling her? Uh, maybe some warnings, some, some tips, things to remember. What would you say? So I think the biggest thing would be to follow your gut. And even if, you know, follow your values, your, your intuition, don't let other people tell you what you should be doing. I made a lot of mistakes doing that, I would say. And, uh, well, that's tough. Don't let the negative pressures impact you or have any negative like effects on you and your mental health, anything like that. Because when you are if you're going to trailblaze, there's going to be a lot of haters. And I used to let that get to me to the point, like I was not well, almost. So yeah, I think I would just say that, like live your life, follow your own intuition and let the haters hate. It says more about them than it does about you. That's right. That's awesome. Um, Are you, are you a woman of uh, any specific routines in the morning? No. You just fly by the, wake up and fly by the seat of your pants, huh? Yeah, I, I'm the worst routine, me and my husband both, like we have no routine considering we have four kids, it's actually probably on the verge of like being detrimental, but I mean, we do have four kids, we work from home, so there's not a lot of structure, you know, to our lives, especially now with COVID, we're just always here, yeah. Um, and yeah, we had four kids in 47 months while creating a two, $300 million company, so our <laughs> life has been absolute chaos, um, yeah. So maybe one day, but I do not right now. Okay. And uh, what what is top of mind as, as being something you're most grateful for right now? I am most grateful for my family. 
I would say. Um, not just, you know, my, like my kids, my husband, obviously my brother and his wife were business partners. We're also like best friends. Me and my brother kind of been best friends since we were, I was born, I guess. And just our team, you know, we have a really tight knit group of people around us that are, who are so supportive and just like really beautiful, loyal people. And our team that are every team member that gets added to the team in the table, we're just making this thing happen one day at a time. And I'm just so grateful that we've been able to find, you know, people to share this journey with. That's amazing. So when does the new brand come out? Um, and it may have already come out by the time of this airing. Like but, I think mid-May, okay. everything, the website, everything will be fully launched, rolled out, signage, everything by mid-May is what I hear. But I don't, I don't have super hands-on. I might get an update like every month. So I don't know for sure, but that's the last I heard. That's amazing. I will be watching. We will be watching. Before I let you go, um, uh, a message for, for young female entrepreneurs, just one from you. So I use kind of the same messaging. I Anytime I get asked this question, but I really truly believe it's the most important thing in life for anybody, female or male, is that you need to believe in yourself and any single thing that you believe you can do, you 100% can do. We need to get more used to finding our confidence and fulfillment from within rather than looking for it for external forces. Because once we believe in ourselves and our own goals and passions, literally we're unstoppable. And once you do get on a pursuit of looking to, to do something new or different or change, you need other people to believe in you. So if you don't believe in yourself, that's almost going to be impossible. Um, but yeah, especially women, I think, you know, we need to just you know have our confidence and don't be worried about how society will perceive our strength or our confidence because it has mm. a negative in the past hopefully that will change every new stronger confident woman we get uh will help things be better kind of as we move forward mm. what about a message for men then how, how we can play a better role in in the the great uh the great goal of getting to 100 percent equity <laughs> parity education is the biggest piece even you know my own husband here's a perfect example even just like a, a year ago I I was in the car with him and I was speaking to one of our local credit unions about um some financing stuff and he basically was like if you're not this person this person this person we won't lend to you and I was like and I, I'm not gonna say the names because you wouldn't you know you're not from Regina you wouldn't know but there are three major home building companies in the city and I said Sean what do those three people have in common and he chuckled and was like, I guess they're all the middle-aged old boys club you complain about. And my husband's like jaw literally dropped. I got a phone. He's like, he actually just said what you have been saying. I said, <laughs> I don't he's like, I can't believe you just had to like experience that. I said, try. I've been dealing with this for seven years, you know? And so even that still shocked him. I wasn't shocked at all. Um, but just educating yourselves on what women actually do experience on a day-to-day -day basis and being aware of it and sticking up for them. So even next time you're sitting around a boardroom table and often when women try to speak or speak their opinions, they get cut off, they get shut down and using then your, your platform and your privilege, be like, wait a second, she was speaking, let her finish. Right. You know, if she doesn't feel confident to do it herself and just being aware and, you know, educating yourselves. There's many statistics out there to prove 
what we preach kind of thing. And uh, we need the whole population to kind of get on board with this. And it will result in positivity for everybody. Having a fully mobilized population literally helps the community. It helps men, it helps women, helps the economy. It's proven, it helps everything. So the faster we do it, the faster we can quit talking about it. There you just go. Yeah. I love it. Thanks for being so passionate about a, uh, about a topic. Um, so it's good. It's great. Yeah. What, uh, where can we, I guess we'll all keep our eyes out for the new brand and, and, uh, and, and I'll make sure I share that as much as I can as well. For sure. Awesome. Thanks so much for joining. It was great. The Growth League podcast is brought to you by Hook and Ladder Digital. We are a digital marketing agency that focuses on building and nurturing engaged brand communities, as well as designing, developing, and optimizing lead generation and conversion funnels that leverage advertising, email, landing pages, and content. Our goal is to connect great products and services with the people that want and need them most at the time that makes most sense for them. We want to see business leaders and marketers win and experience next level growth by co-creating a strategy and working together to implement into market and realize the ROI that we're all looking for. So if you have any questions on your digital marketing program, you need support, or you'd just like to have us take a look, please check us out www.hldigital.ca. Thanks so much.